So this morning I want to talk a little bit about covenant. The uh, covenant that Cindy read about in Genesis with between God and Abraham. And also the covenant that God created for us through Jesus Christ. See, the thing about covenants is that they're more than contracts. They're more than simple agreements. They're commitments that exist because of relationship. God is covenant maker and he's also covenant keeper. In Paul's letter to the Romans, if you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from the fourth chapter of Romans, beginning at verse 13, where Paul writes, For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, and he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and was raised for our justification. I, I have to go back to verse 17 where it talks about God in whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Some translations say, calls into being those things which be not. Here's the thing about God's covenants. God's covenants are created by God for his pleasure, for his honor, for his glory, and according to his will. 
How great a God do we worship who can call into being all the necessary things to establish a covenant with us merely by speaking them into existence. There is no other power that can accomplish that kind of instantaneous creation of the things that need to be. See, that, that promise that God gave Abraham that, that he and his children would possess the earth it wasn't given because of something Abraham did or, or could do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together. And then Abraham entered into it believing that God could do what he said. If, if those who get what God gives them only get it by doing everything they're told to do, and then and filling out all the right forms and getting them all properly signed. If, if that's how God's promises work, then, well, they're nothing more than contracts. It, if that's the way it works, it eliminates this relationship piece of this agreement that's necessary. See, if it's a contract, then it's not a holy promise. It's a business deal. God's not interested in business deals. God's not interested in a contract that's drawn up by some hard-nosed lawyer and, and with plenty of fine print, only to make sure that you'll never be able to collect. It's simply a promise of relationship. That's... God has promised and because it's relationship driven and God is the keeper and the maker of the covenant, it can never be broken. Oh, you can walk away from it. You can backslide out of it. But the covenant still exists because, because God is the maker and the keeper. Let me explain that a little bit. The fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and God's way of doing things. And then simply for us, all we have to do is embrace God and everything that he's doing. We simply have to believe it. God's promise comes to us as a pure gift. We don't have to do anything to earn it. In fact, we can't earn it at all. That's the only way that everybody can get in on God's promises is, is if people don't have to do anything. Why? Because we're human. We fall short. We're not capable of keeping a covenant in and of ourselves. The only way that everybody can be sure to get in on the promise is, is that it's by who we know not how much we know. It's by who we know, not by some lawyer intervening on our behalf, making sure that the terms of the contract are fulfilled. See, Abraham is our father. He's, he's, not, he's not our 
our, our racial father. We don't we don't belong to the Jewish race. We belong to the children of God race. I, I'm not trying to be less white. Try to be less of anything that God created you and it just doesn't work. We are who God creates us to be. And he is our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was nobody. And that's what God does for each of us. God made something out of Abraham when he was nobody. Isn't that what we've been reading in our scriptures? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Just like it says in verse 17, raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing. When Everything was hopeless. Abraham believed anyway. Do we have the faith of Abraham this morning? When all hope is lost, do we believe in the promises of God anyway? And so because Abraham believed, God the Father made him the father of a multitude of people. God told him, you're going to have a big family, the message version says. Abraham, you're going to have a big family. And so Abraham didn't focus on the fact that he was over 100 years old and that Sarah was barren. He didn't focus on those things. He focused on the fact that God said it and he believed it. He plunged into the promise, the message says. And when he did that, he came up strong, ready for what God had for him, sure that God would make good on what he had said. Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. See, believing on God means believing in his son, Jesus Christ. And so when you believe on his son, Jesus Christ, it is counted to you as righteousness, just as believing on God was counted righteousness to Abraham in his day before Jesus came as a babe in a manger. See, God is a God of the covenant. He is covenant maker and he is covenant keeper. I, I think we should all walk out of here this morning remembering that because covenants are not just big pie in the sky concepts. We use covenants in our everyday. We talked about this at Wednesday night Bible study. Covenants are a part of our everyday life. Covenant with God is part of your everyday existence. If you're married, you're in a covenant, not just with your spouse, with, but with God, putting Jesus in the center of your marriage. At least you should be. Covenant. When you take communion on communion Sunday here, you're entering into a covenant. 
You're going to the Lord's table and you're in covenant with him and you're in covenant with your fellow Christians. What are some other covenants? That are practically in your everyday experience. Baptism. If you are baptized, if you have been baptized, you are in covenant with God, yes, but also with your church family who agreed that they would be a part of the nurturing of your faith. Covenant. Do you notice that there's a, a triune nature to covenants? It's not just a contract between two people. No, it's, it's not a contract at all. It's a relationship between God and with your church family, with your spouse, with the community of faith, the body of Christ. It's a promise that involves trust and responsibility for each party involved. And fortunately for us, a covenant with God doesn't depend on our own ability to keep the covenant. That's a good thing because, well, as humans, we're weak. We're more than capable of falling away from the covenant in that weakness. If it were up to us to remember the covenant God makes with us, the covenant would be long forgotten by now. But it doesn't depend on our own memory but rather on the infinite, unchangeable memory of God. See, God remembers the covenant always. God never forgets the covenant. You can run as far and as fast as you can away from the face of God, but the second you stop and you remember the covenant and you repent and you turn, there's God right there waiting for you, saying, welcome back to the covenant. doesn't depend on our memory, but rather on the infinite, unchangeable memory of God. And his remembering us is the basis for our security. We have to recall when God made the covenant of the Passover with Israel, he didn't say, when you see the blood on your doorframe, I will pass over you. No. He said, when I see the blood on your doorframe, I will pass over. We forget that God is the maker and the keeper of the covenant. And so, likewise, the covenant that we have with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, it's only possible through his work on the cross, not ours. Thankfully, through Christ, the new covenant is made and the prophecy that we read about in Hebrews 8.12 is fulfilled. What does that prophecy say? It says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Thank God for that covenant. When we got up this morning, we put our feet on the floor and wiped the sleep from our eyes. The mercy and grace of God was new again for us, for each of us. He remembers our sins and our iniquities no more. His mercy and grace were new this morning for you. 
When God looks at us through the covenant he made with us through Christ, all he sees when he looks at us is the pure, righteous, cleansing blood of Christ. And so by choosing Jesus, we fulfill our part of the covenant and God, who's always faithful, keeps his part by forgetting our sins and remembering them no more. That's a pretty cool thing. There's security in knowing that I can mess up, but as long as I maintain my relationship with Christ, I'm forgiven. And God does not see that sin anymore. The key there is repentance, turning away from that wickedness and turning back to God. How many times will God do that for us? As many times as we're capable of sinning. Is that carte blanche to sin? Is that freedom for us to sin knowing that God forgives? No. No, our, our love for Christ should prevent that. We should have no desire, no taste for that sin in our mouths any longer. Doesn't mean we're perfect because we're human. We're going to fall short, but it does mean that we should have a desire to honor and glorify the God who created us, the God of the covenant, the one who made the covenant, the one who keeps the covenant. So we're in the Lenten season. And so we need to be examining our heart and our mind, and we need to be discerning whether or not we are honoring the covenant. Have you entered into a covenant relationship with God? The only way that you can enter a covenant relationship, God, is through Jesus Christ, your Savior. There's no other way. There's no other path. It's got to be through Christ. If you think you're in a covenant and you didn't get there through Jesus, you're not in a covenant. Not with God, anyway. Covenants are serious stuff. And that's why I think you get the sense that there's a, there's a heavy gravity on this subject this morning. It's not meant to depress. It's not meant to discourage. It's meant to encourage. But we have to take this Lenten season seriously or there's no point in us going through this. We have to discern what is of God and what is of not or there's no point at all in going through this. I mean, if, if you're just giving up Cokes for Lent, if you're just giving up red meat for Lent, you're missing the point entirely. If you're going to give up something, give up your brokenness. If you're going to give up something for Lent, give up your vices. Give up shame, whatever it does that causes shame for you. Give up your prejudices, whatever those are. Give those up for Lent. Give up the things that are not 
of God and take on those things that are of God. Do that for Lent. Because let me tell you something, and I tell you this with as much love as I can muster for you, my church family. God, God did not send Jesus. Jesus did not go to the cross and die for you so that you could give up Coca-Cola. I mean, just saying the word sounds ludicrous. He didn't go to the cross and die for you so you could give up tobacco. He didn't go to the cross and die for you just so you could give something up and then pick it up again after Lent. He went to the cross to die for your sins, to take the sins of the world upon himself and to give you in exchange the righteousness of God. So when we acknowledge what Jesus has done for us on the cross, when we acknowledge that what he's done for us is something that we could never do for ourselves, this Lenten season should take on for you new depth and new meaning. If you allow yourself, how many times have I stood on this platform and said these words? If you allow yourself to pick up your cross and walk to Calvary with Jesus through this Lenten season, all the way through Good Friday and Holy Week. If you allow yourself to do some heart surgery and get that stuff out in the open, lay it at the base of the cross. If you'll allow yourself to do that, then when you get to Easter, the victory of Jesus is your victory. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. This is what the Lenten season is for. If, if you're listening on, on live stream and you haven't realized that Jesus went to the cross for your sins, if, if you're not following Jesus now as a Christ-following Christian, now is the time for you to realize that in this season of Lent, you have to do some heart surgery. You have to pull those ungodly things out and lay them at the base of the cross and let Jesus pick them up and God will remember them no more. That's the whole point, isn't it? If you do that work, if you do that work this season, then when you get to Easter, Glory be to God. The victory is yours. Don't let this Lenten season go by like so many other Lenten seasons. Don't pay lip service to the introspection part of Lent and then go about your daily lives ignoring the covenant that you have with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Don't do that. It's way too important.
This Lenten season, examine your heart and your mind and discern whether or not you have entered into the covenant relationship with God the only way that you can enter it, through Jesus Christ our Lord, believing on him and accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.